Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Solid Ground Church, where every week we share messages recorded during our weekly gatherings in Lewis, Delaware. If you have questions or if we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now, let's get to this week's message. Verses 32 through 43, um, let's read it together and it says this. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a a man named uh, Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus heals you. Get up, roll up your mat. And immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Great name. Uh, she, I don't know why she didn't want to go by that name. Um, she was always doing good and helping the poor. About the time she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in the up, uh, upstairs room. Lydda was uh, near Joppa, so the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda. They sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards a dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. If um, Sometimes when we, what we can do is we can isolate a Bible story, right? Like we can take Peter's story, and we can just read this and be like, man, Peter, like what a bold, like... Uh, I don't know what kind of like, well, it takes confidence in Jesus, but I've never like got to somebody and be like, been to a funeral and just like, like, all right, let's get up. It takes a, a boldness and a courage and a confidence that can only be found in Jesus. But if we, if we neglect the whole story of Peter's life and we only look at this one moment, we would see Peter in a certain way, but we wouldn't see how God has worked through Peter up until this point. And see, what I'm, what, I'm glad, what, I, what I'm glad that we have a God who cares about the whole story. That do you know that God cares about your whole story? From, from start to finish, right now, when you, were, when you were getting frustrated with your kids this morning as you were trying to get them out the door, when you were yelling at the person at the red light last weekend because they wouldn't go or they're blocking the intersection, you're like, it wouldn't be nothing just to keep driving like, and then push this Pennsylvania car to the other side of the intersection. Like, see, God cares about the whole story. So many people at times, they, um, they will, I meet people, and there's people who I went to high school with who go to our church, and I always say that there's Josh now and there's Josh BC, before Christ. And uh, Sometimes people are like, oh, do you know Josh? He's one of the pastors at my church. I'm like, Josh is a pastor? Uh, see, the thing is, is that, that if you don't know my, if, if you just know me here, you know me as preacher boy, as, as, as Pastor Josh. But if you knew me for my whole story, you know that there was a different version of me that once existed before, a knucklehead, a, a goofy 
Katie, I, I always like to say that I was like, we always have this tendency to make our testimony be like, we always want to sound like bad boys and bad girls, right? Like, I was in a gang, and I robbed a bank, and then while I was driving away, the car flipped, and I should have been flown out, but Jesus caught me and put me on the ground. And he was like, from this day forward, you're going to follow me. I'm like, yes, Jesus, right? No, and like, I kind of made my story sound like that. Like, not those things, but I was like, I was just, I was doing bad stuff, and I was hanging out with bad people. My son watches Paw Patrol, and the bad guys in Paw Patrol are the Rough Rough Pack. So now when I, now when I think of, they're like little dogs who wear, ride motorcycles and have like, they have like spikes on their helmet, and their idea of ba- being bad is littering. Like, we, wa- we were watching an episode this morning, he's like, if you're really bad, stomp on the grass. I'm like, what? In litter. Um, I, I like to tell, I used to like to tell my story like I was hanging out with the Rough Rough Pack. And I think some of us do that as well. But really, for me, I was just a, a teenage boy who was lost and trying to find significance in life. I was trying to find where I, where, where, I, where I was a part of, who I belonged to, who I was. I was trying to figure out who I am. But if we just isolate our parts of our story, we miss out on what God has done through it all. And I think it happens, it can happen here in the same story with Peter, that we can just read these stories about Peter and Paul and the disciples doing amazing things, and we can think that they've had it all figured out for, for the extended period of their life, and they're like, man, why can't I be just like them? But if you know Peter, Peter was a goofy dude who got it wrong all the time, that he was trying to figure it out the same way that you and I we're figuring out. What we're seeing is one of Peter's great moments, but the Bible is filled with some not great moments as well. And that's why I love God, because he is concerned with the whole story. Your story, my story, Peter's story. So my baby got me distracted. That's my baby, so I can't yell at him. Uh, it's your baby. I'm going to yell at him. No. God is invested, and he cares for the whole story. And if we look at Peter's life, if we look at Peter, we'll see this. For the whole story, we'll see this transformation. But I want to look back at this story, and I want to break it down in, in this moment for Peter. In Acts 9, 32 through 35, it says, As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. What struck when I read this story, what struck me the most as I did some research and as I read it, it was the boldness of Peter in this moment. It was the boldness of Peter in this moment. Because as we read, if we remember prior to this moment, we've seen the first Christian martyr. We've seen Peter has been thrown in prison. We know that there is heavy persecution on followers of Jesus. That this isn't, we read it and we just think that this is like, like Peter didn't even think twice. But in the, but what's going on in the world that he lives in, I can imagine for me, I don't know if I would, if I've been like thrown in jail and, and do all these things, like you can never do this again. I, I don't know if I'm, if I'm Peter and I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go out and start healing people publicly in the streets after they've already won. He's already been arrested once for healing somebody publicly in the streets and told to never preach about Jesus ever again. But in this moment, after persecution, Stephen is martyred, Peter has been in jail, all these things. 
Peter is in this moment, and in the scriptures, it doesn't say that he went and he found this guy hidden in his room. That he healed this man in public, in open air, for everyone to see. Knowing what the climate towards followers of Jesus were in that moment, that Peter, the thing that strikes me the most is Peter's boldness. That the people are being killed, but Peter is still after the after the, the, the glory of the gospel for Jesus. He wants to see people healed and see people saved, and nothing is going to stop him in these moments. But this isn't the Peter that we've always known. This isn't the Peter that we've always read about in the Bible. If we go to Luke 22:56-58, in one of Peter's not-so-shining moments, he says this, A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with you, talking about Jesus. This is when Jesus has been arrested and he is on trial. He says, but he denied it. He said, woman, I do not know him, he said. And later, someone else saw him and said, you are one of them, talking about being a disciple of Jesus. He says, man, I am not, Peter replied. We go, we see Peter in this moment in the book of Acts who is openly healing people in Jesus' name for the glory of the gospel. But if we just look back a few chapters of one book before, we see Peter is denying the name of Jesus in the face of persecution. So what has happened in Peter that from, from that point to this point that he is so bold? Because I, I don't know about you, but for me, have, have you ever gotten nervous when you feel like God is trying to tell you to do something? Somebody's like, are you a Christian? I'm like, well, I'm I'm just figuring it out. No, like, you know you're a Christian. Like, you've been baptized. You've been coming to church for, like, your whole life. But there's these moments where we, we've experienced it on both ends of Peter, haven't we? These moments where we, where we feel timid and scared because we don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, in that moment, Jesus, this guy that he's put all his faith in has been arrested, and, and they're saying, aren't you with him? He, he thinks he's about to get arrested, too. He doesn't know what's going to happen next for him. And But then in 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 Acts, he has already been arrested. He's already seen people die for the faith. And there's a new boldness and a new confidence inside of him. That, and I, I ask myself, what has changed in Peter up until this moment? See, this is, we've known Peter to be timid and cowardly, but now he has this boldness. And sometimes we can get um, boldness confused for arrogance, and I want to define those for a second, that, that arrogance, we, we've seen Peter be arrogant in the Gospels as well. See, arrogance is rooted in pride and the desire to exalt oneself. But boldness, the boldness that we see in Peter is rooted in humbleness and the desire to exalt Jesus. See, it's, it's a fine line between who is getting the glory who is getting the glory? And we see this for Peter in Matthew 16, 21 through 22. It says, um, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. We could read that as boldness. Like, man, what courage it takes to rebuke Jesus. That's not what's happening here. See, Peter had this idea of what a Messiah looked like. 
He had this idea of how Jesus should operate and function. And the way that he imagined the Messiah was not one who was going to die on a cross, but was one who was going to march in to the capital and take the throne for himself. So in this moment, it's not Peter saying, um, it's not Peter being bold, it's Peter being arrogant. It's him saying, I, the way that I'm thinking about this is the right way. Jesus, you've got it wrong, but I've got it right. I want my idea of what this looks like to go forward. But that's not what we see in, this, in Peter up until this moment. Because what we can see is that in Acts 9, 34, when he says, Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. And that's the... For me, that is the, the, the thing that flips it up on its head. It's not about Peter being right or Peter doing this thing, but it's about Jesus doing this thing through Peter. It's, it's, and he is, Jesus Christ has healed you, not me, nobody else. I'm here to share the glory and the goodness of Jesus with you. So get up, pick up your mat, and go home. It's Jesus that heals him. And I think for many of us, maybe we have towed this line between arrogance, and boldness for Christ. Maybe it's times where, um, look, for me, if I'm honest, early in my ministry, when I became, when I came to Christ in 2012, 2011, I was 17, like, celebrity preachers were, like, on the up and up. Now they're on the the down and down. You can just go on Hulu. There's a documentary about every single one of them. Um, We pray for them. But I remember thinking that, for me, to matter in ministry was to emulate a ministry that looked like theirs. Is that if I mattered and I was a good preacher, that meant that I was going to go and preach to stadiums. And that people, I would write books. I I make this joke all the time that um, when I came into ministry, I was 22 years old. I thought by like 27, I'd have a book deal. Like I, I I thought I was God's gift to Lewis, to Delaware, to the country. I'm not even God's gift to my house. I'm the disaster. I'm the, I'm the messy one. But there's this difference, for me, there's this difference between getting up here and boldly declaring the message of Jesus so that he will be glorified and seeing one of these as an opportunity to further my brand. And if we're being honest with ourselves, every single one of us has done this at some point in time in our faith. Maybe you've never, like, hoped you'd get up on a stage and, like, people just love you and adore you and you're, like, signing, you're signing foreheads after you preach. This is, like, a weird thing to desire, right? I've never desired that. But I thought, for me, significance in doing this was not in knowing Jesus. I, I knew that. But there's something that gets twisted in your, in your mind is that the significance comes from the, the admiration of people. And maybe for you, you've never had the desire that I've had to, like, be a big deal, which I'm okay with it not happening now. Um, you guys make me nervous. I don't need 100,000 people to make me that much sweatier. Um, <laughs> but maybe for you, you've sat in a Bible study, and you've had an idea, and, and, and it's not that the, what the other person said was wrong, it's, but you just think your idea is better, so you have to chime in, so people in the room think you're smart. See, I would say that is not boldness, but that's arrogance. Or maybe for you, I don't have another example. (laughs) There's this fine line between arrogance 
and boldness. I had to think one, we'd be here for a really while, for a really long time to think about it. But Peter's boldness in his faith is not come because he, like, look, this is, I really believe this. I don't think Peter up until this moment has it all figured out. I think Peter, like you and me, I, I wonder that if in these moments, if you've ever had a moment where you feel like God is telling you and pushing you to pray for someone, how many of you get nervous? One of my, like, I know all, uh, normally I know everybody's name. You come up to me for prayer, immediately, like, I get so nervous, I forget it for a second. Like, um, like my mom could come up. I don't even know. Who are you? Hi. Can you tell me your name? <laughs> mom? Uh, cool. Uh, I get nervous in those moments. I wonder if Peter also got nervous in these moments. See, nervous isn't a bad thing. It's, it's, it's natural, and I wonder, see, Peter, I don't, I, I wonder if, well, we know Peter doesn't have it all figured out because we see God through the book of Acts continually to work through Peter to change his mind, to, to rearrange some things the way, in the way of his thinking. But I don't think his, his boldness comes from himself, but his boldness comes from the one he's connected to. See, Peter's boldness and his confidence is not in himself because he's figured it out. He's got the 36-step plan on how to heal people in the streets. But he spent time with the one who's healing people. See, here's the, the really cool thing. Here's a really cool thing about these two healing stories in this chapter. Is that Peter is simply mimicking the things that he saw Jesus do in the Gospels. Where are we going? <laughs> um, so we see in this moment when um, Jesus goes up to Aeneas. And he says, Christ heal you. Get up, roll up your mat, and go. In John 5, when Jesus heals the paralyzed man who is lowered through the ceiling, he says this, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And then when we go, if we, if we were to jump down to the story of Tabitha, we'll get there, but like we're going to jump down there now. We're not going to read it, but we'll talk about it. When he goes up to heal Tabitha, he goes up into the room, he sends everybody out, and he looks at her and says, Tabitha, get up. If you go back in the Gospels, Jesus heals a little girl. He goes up in the room. He sends everybody out, and he tells her, little girl, get up. See, Peter's boldness doesn't come from him knowing it all and having it all figured out. It comes from the one who he's connected to, the one who is doing the healing. And it's worth noting that when Peter says, Tabitha, get up, and Jesus says, little girl, get up, in the Aramaic, it's one letter difference. He's almost saying exactly what Jesus said in that moment. See, Peter wasn't bold and confident because he had mastered it all. He was bold and confident because he knew and had a relationship with Jesus. See, in 2 Timothy 1, 7 through 8, it says this, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love, and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but sharing in suffering for the gospel, for the gospel by the power of God. Church, if, if we can look at this story and we can apply it to our life, the thing that we need to, the thing that we need to do is that we need to be bold for our faith. That we need to be bold for our faith. That we need to be like Peter and step into these moments and know who the one we're connected to. 
It's not because you've read every single book and you've, you've read through the Bible a hundred times or you have it all figured out or you've done all these things. It's, it's not about all those things. It's about the one who you're connected to. See, my confidence in this, my boldness in this is not about me, but it's the one who I know, the one who I'm in relationship with, the one that I'm following. Don't be timid. Don't hide. Imagine what, do you ever imagine what it would be like if the disciples and the apostles were too afraid to share the name of Jesus? Too afraid to pray for people? Too afraid to heal people? Do you imagine what the book of Acts would look like if every time they came to a moment they, they got scared? I'm just going to pray for you and, and that's it. And, but we're called to be bold. In, the, in, in our world, like, Peter's boldness is a life-or-death situation. And we know for him it leads to death at the end of his story. But for us, I, I, we don't live in a country that is going to, we're not going to be killed for our faith in America. But for us, I think sometimes what being bold means just, like, not just putting Jesus first in our social media bios, but, like, living it out every single day. It means not, like being afraid to say that you're a Christian. So I, I've met so many, um, like, Jesus, like, personal Jesuses that we don't, they don't, people don't share their faith, but they like to keep it to themselves. That they're a Christian behind closed doors, but they're afraid of what their family or friends are going to think about them, so they just keep it to themselves. And Peter wasn't always this bold, but something happened as he spent time with Jesus, as he, as he watched Jesus do things, as he, as he lived it out, as he experienced this thing. See, what would it look like if you were bold and just risked your reputation? What if you just, you just risked it all, you risked friendship, honoring God in your everyday and being bold and standing up for your faith and believing that what God has for you is far greater than anything the world could offer you? I had to, when I came to faith, I had to kind of remove some friends from my life because I knew I couldn't follow Jesus and run around with the rough, rough pack. (laughs) And some of you, that's what God's calling you. We're called to be bold. It might mean to remove some friendships. It might mean to have the, the courage to come up and ask for help somewhere where you're struggling. See, we're called to be bold, not to be timid, because God has not given us a a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. So let's live out the boldness that we see in the scriptures of the disciples. So we're going to jump down to verse 36. It says this, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About the time she became sick and died, her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to her, to him, excuse me, and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs, and all the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and the clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Here's the one thing we know about Tabitha from just this short piece of scripture, is that she was a faithful servant of Jesus to her community. That she was a faithful servant of Jesus to her community. 
I saw this Instagram post and I shared it this week and it started, it was just a picture and some words and it said, well done and it listed off all these things. Famous, successful, game-changing, hardworking and all those things were crossed out and at the bottom it said faithful and that was the only thing that was circled. Do you know that at the end of this all, Jesus is gonna, our hope says Jesus looks at me and he looks at you and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. He's not looking at you and saying, well done, faithful. A well done, famous and faithful servant. Well done, multimillionaire and faithful servant. Well done, game-changing and successful. He's not worried about these things. The thing that, that in this moment, the thing that the community, like they're weeping and they're crying, but here's the thing. They're not weeping and crying because she is, she is dead, because to die is to gain, because she is with Jesus. They are crying because the faithful work that she provided and in her death has left such a void in their community, that she was so faithful that these women are weeping and they're crying because they don't know what they're going to do next. See, I want you to, to understand this. Is don't neglect the faithful work that God has put in front of you. Last time I preached, I, I, I challenged us to be all in on Jesus. And somebody afterwards came up and was like, I've always just thought that preachers and like clergy are the only people who could be all in on Jesus. Because you guys, like, that's what you do for a living. Like, I don't, this is one hour out of my week that I get to stand up. And I'm not like, I don't like go grocery shopping. I'm just like preaching. Like don't stand in the cart and make my wife push me through the grocery store and I just preach to the whole grocery store. I'm not, and I don't go to the coffee shop and like stand up on the table after I drink my cold brew and like, let me tell you about Jesus. That's not like, all in is not just for the preachers and the teachers. All in is for the faithful workers of Christ. All in is for those who just doing what you're able to do. See, here's the thing I noticed about Tabitha. She wasn't a good, it doesn't say she was a good preacher. It doesn't say she was a good teacher, a good worship leader, a good singer, all these things. But what it does say, what I, what I have figured out from this is that she was a good doer. And she did the thing that she did well. And they brought these clothes and these robes to Peter. And they, he, they, they're showing him these things that she did for them through Christ. That these women, these, these widows in the, in the ancient Near East, that they were, would be the most, some of the most marginalized people. That they wouldn't be able to care for themselves. But here's Tabitha stepping up, who some believe she was a widow herself and brought in these people and took care of them. Because she, could, she was able to, she was a good doer. She was good at making clothes and making robes. And she provided for the people who needed to be provided for. So church, don't neglect the work that God has put in front of you. And I wonder if for Tabitha, here's the thing up. I wonder if she realized how important her work was. Because we see in this moment how important it was to the people around her. That these widows, are, they're weeping. Their lives have been destroyed. They don't know what's going to happen next because, because Tabitha is a provider to them. I wonder if she knew how valuable the things that she was doing while she was on earth were. How much it meant to the people standing next to her. See, we might never know how impactful the work you do for Jesus is on this side of eternity. But that's not a reason to stop doing it. So we, we, we see this moment 
and she is a good doer. And then for, for you and for me, what does that mean? Maybe you could never get up here because you'd like be a, a puddle of sweat and, and tears. And I'm turning into a puddle of sweat right now. But maybe you're a good doer. Maybe you're able to do things that other people aren't able to do. Look, maybe you're really good at cutting grass. You get those lines real straight. I know someone in this room who's really good at cutting grass. It's not me. My neighbors keep cutting my grass because I don't get to it fast enough. Um, And they use a weed whacker. Do the whole thing. Um, Maybe you're a really good doer. And there's things that you can do that you you could cut grass, you can make blankets, you can make meals. Maybe you don't think you're a really good doer, but you know what? You're a really good listener. And God has created you and set you up and put you in places for you to do the things that you do. Not the things that you were hoped to doing, but just to do the things that you're good at doing. And so maybe for you that means that you cut your grass and you know that the person next door or down the street is down and out and you know they're not going to get to it, but you just do it every single week no matter what. Maybe you're like a really good cook and you just love like you just love cooking and you know you have that friend or that neighbor or that family member who just they're going crazy and in, in with the circumstances of life and they can't get to just to do the basic things that you can just go and deliver them a meal and if you don't know if you're a good cook I'll tell you you want you want to like do a test meal and drop it off over here I'm here Monday through Thursday I get hungry around 12 30 um, no but maybe you're a good doer So what I want you to is don't neglect the work that God has put in front of you because you can't see how it is being useful or how it's impacting the lives of the people around you. Um, In the book, Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, it says we should offer everything to him before we do it and give thanks to him when we are finished. So when you're doing this faithful work, in other words, you should start with God and it should end with God. Tabitha never really knew the importance of the life and the work that she was doing. Maybe she did, maybe she didn't. But don't neglect the impact that you can have for the kingdom by just doing the thing that God has put in front of you. It doesn't have to be spectacular and shiny and fancy and and all these things. But sometimes it just is a matter of showing So don't neglect the faithful work. In Acts 9, uh, 40 through 43, it says this. When Peter sent them all out of the room, and he got down on his knees and prayed, turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa. And many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. I always like, do you ever read the stories and kind of just like wonder what's going on in the other, like I want their thoughts. Like when you read like a good book and you're like, you know it's going to be like really hard to make into a movie because it's a lot of inner thoughts and it'd be kind of weird to watch as a movie. Um, I wanted like, When Tabitha raises from the dead, look, if somebody raised me from the dead, I think we'd have some words. 
Look, I was just face-to-face with Jesus, and now I'm back in Milton, Delaware. What is this? But what I want to dial in on this section is verse uh, 42. And it says, this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. I want you to hear me this morning. Is that um, your story matters. Your story matters. I think sometimes we believe that because you weren't running around with a rough, rough pack, that your story has no significance for the kingdom. And we see in this moment, it's, it says, this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the world. People heard about the story of Tabitha, and they started following Jesus. People heard about the story of Tabitha, and they turned to Jesus. Your story matters. Where you've been, what you've gone through, and where you're at right now, it matters because it is a declaration of the glory of God and the gospel. Your story matters. Your life is not insignificant just because you don't have a crazy story. Look, you might have just like, you might say, well, Josh, you don't know my story. It's so boring. I grew up a Christian. I've lived my whole entire life as a Christian, and I'm going to die as a Christian. It is as like vanilla as it gets. That's not true. What if as you've been living out this life, you've been, you've been raised in faith, and you've done all the right faith choices throughout your entire life? And you just think, like, it's not an, it's not an exciting story. But what if because you were willing to live for Christ throughout your entire life, it gives the courage to people around you to live for Christ as well? What if, like, the fact that your entire life you've just, like, you've given of yourself regardless, like, you've been the weird Christian your entire life, right? And now people are willing to do that as well. What if for you, you've, like, You've always put Christ at the center of your relationship and that you, you, you waited till you were married. You did everything right. And, and now you have this opportunity to disciple this young couple who is confused as all get out because of the world that we live in. But you tell them this story that you, you said, I'm, we're going to live for Christ first. And we're going to honor him through our marriage. And now you've given them the courage to put Christ at the center of their relationship. See, your story matter. See, I, I thought for me I had to have this crazy story for people to relate to me. I was a bad boy, hanging out and doing bad stuff with other bad boys and getting in trouble. But in reality, is the truth is, I was just a lost teenager who I would do things to find significance, to be cool, to, to have friends. And see, in, when you share your true stories, when people can connect with you, See, like, I, I was lost and now I'm found. I, I wasn't bad. I was just lost. And Jesus found me. And Jesus healed me. And Jesus gave me belonging. And Jesus gave me purpose. And that's your story and mine. And maybe for some of you, you're saying, Josh, the reason that Tabitha's story went and people came to Christ is because she was dead and she rose again. And I would say, isn't that your story too? Isn't that your story too? That you were dead in your sins and you were raised in Christ.
Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, it says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the rulers of this kingdom and of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. And it is by grace you have been saved. Your story matters because you were dead and now you are alive. That you were lost and now you are found. That you felt like you didn't matter and now Jesus has given you purpose. See, her story is our story. That the God of the universe loves you and he loves me. And that we can have real life, true life in Christ. That we can know and walk with Jesus. And that we can be bold and we can be confident. And that God can give us work that matters and is faithful and impacts our world. Is that you are dead and now you are alive. That your story matters because Jesus is in the middle of it and Jesus loves you. So don't think that you're just coasting through life. But know that you can have impact for the kingdom. That your story matters. That we're called to be bold. And we're called to just do the work of Jesus together. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. For the one who can't see how God's been working in their life, God, I just pray that you would just, you would just remove the blinders from their eyes. That you would show them how you've been there every step of the way. That you've not forgotten them, that you've not left them, but you've been right there with them. For the one who thinks that they can't, um, they think because they keep falling in their faith that they're a failure. But God, you're standing right there ready to pick them back up. Father, we just praise you, God. We pray that we would experience your love and, and your freedom and the joy and the peace that only can come from you and knowing you, God. I pray that you would just, um, that you would ignite something inside of us to be bold, to be confident, to do the work that you've put in front of us and to recognize that our lives aren't insignificant in all of this, God, but that you have placed us here to reach and to teach and to love people, to share your gospel, to, to, to expand your kingdom. So God, I pray that we would just give you permission to use us as kingdom workers. God, and we give you permission to, to work inside of our hearts as well. That God, as we see you work through and in the disciples, God, we just pray that you would work in and through us as well. Father, we praise you and we love you. And we do this in Jesus' name, amen.